Father, we have sung together this morning of the amazing work of Christ on our behalf. Lord, it is a gospel sufficient to defeat our ultimate enemies of sin and and death. Christ has overcome these eternal realities, no longer have a hold over us. They no longer have a sting. We are secure now and forever so that we, like this wise woman, can laugh at the future confidence of our eternal destinies. And yet, Lord, we know that you have also given us guidance, wisdom in your word for how we should live until that great day. You have taught us how to follow you in joyful obedience that we and our families might flourish and that we might be disciples who truly make a difference. And so, Lord, in this time, would you come and be our teacher again and that our hearts and minds would be attentive and that we would be helped in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wisdom and marriage. Uh, what is your marital status this, this morning? I often feel that the boxes you have to check, your, your options are fairly limited or just a, a little bit simplistic, uh, perhaps. Why? Because it's just a complicated question, isn't it? For example, in our family this morning, we certainly have singles and a lot of different uh, people in a lot of different circumstances. Some are single and happily so. Some are single but wishing to be married, perhaps with a sense of excitement, perhaps with a sense of sorrow. Some are even single again after divorce or after death. Their singleness comes in a a number of of different ways and and experiences. Now, in our family this morning, we don't just have have singles. We also have those who are engaged. Some are engaged and and feel ready for this journey. Others are engaged and have no idea what they're about to get themselves into. We have single, uh, we have engaged. And, of course, we also have married couples. And great diversity there as well. We have married couples who are are married and, and happily so. And praise the Lord for his, his grace toward us. We also have married couples who are, who are married again, perhaps for a, a second or a third time. We have married couples who are struggling deeply, struggling profoundly in their relationships. We even sadly have married couples who perhaps wish they were single again. What is your marital status? And know that whatever box you check, that is not what defines you. And importantly, here at McLean, we honor you. We honor you because we all have different experiences, different stories, different perspectives. And corporately, these shared experiences make our family so much richer, so much better. Were you not here with the experiences that you have had, our family life would be, would be poorer for it. And so we're grateful for, 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 for everyone in our congregation, wherever they find themselves in this question of marriage. Now, this morning, uh, I am I'm a fool, but I am not foolish enough to try and say everything that needs to be said about marriage and singleness in one sermon. Uh, lots needs to be said. Perhaps we'll do a series on this. I'd like to, to do one uh, even soon. But this morning, we're not going to bite all that off. Instead, we're going to unapologetically preach one point. Unapologetically preach one point. We have a very narrow focus this morning, and our focus this morning is husbands. Husbands, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. If the SOS goes off, it's not the time for you to run out, okay? This is the time. 
Stay in the pocket, hang tough, we'll get through this together. Okay? Now, it's a narrow focus, but I do hope it has broad application. Broad application, that this one point will be specifically helpful for our husbands, but generally helpful for all of us to hear. Three quick reasons why it will be so. First, because we all want to grow in all the wisdom that God has to offer. We can learn things, not just because they directly apply to us, but from the broader context as well. Secondly, in our day, which is so confused, isn't it confused about what marriage is and how marriage should function? It's important for all of us to be advocates for the beautiful biblical understanding of what a marriage should be. And then, thirdly, the point I want to address specifically to husbands also has application for for all of us in in all of our relationships. There's relational crossover wherever we find ourselves today. Now, our one point comes from the book of Proverbs, but before we get there, uh, we need to do a little bit of context, and there's uh, two things I want to highlight as we we come to, to our main point. The first one is this. The first thing we need to see in the context of of Proverbs is that husbands, it it doesn't take long in the book of Proverbs. You don't have to spend much time in the scriptures before you realize that according to God, wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. First thing I want to see in the context here. Wives are... A beautiful gift from the Lord. If you are a wife, you are a beautiful gift from the Lord. Husbands, if you have a wife, you have received a beautiful gift from the Lord. Now, this isn't just kind of mushy, schmaltzy, sentimental kind of romanticism. This is biblical fact, right? Look with me at 12.4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. A beautiful, precious Thing. 1822. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A good thing from him. 19 verse 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. Proverbs states this, but Proverbs also goes on to illustrate it for us. And this is really uh, where we, why we read this section from Proverbs 31. You see it there? This is uh, the climax of the book of Proverbs, and it's this extended poem in praise of an excellent wife, literally translated of a woman of strength. And this poem goes into great detail to describe what a gift such a wife is. And as we read through it, did you not just kind of catch a, a taste of that? She's described as an administrator and as a trader, as a craftswoman. She's kind to the poor. She serves as a guide. She gets up early in the morning. She goes to bed late at night. She works hard all day, makes money, provides for her family. She gives herself away, not just for her family, but for the wider community as well. And all are blessed by her sacrifice. So is it any wonder that by the time you get to verse 28, you see it there? Her husband is understandably delighted with her. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, verse 29, but you surpass them all. He is delighted with her because he knows that wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. That's what wives are. Now, wives, I, I don't know what you're, you're thinking or feeling, and it's, it's hazardous to guess, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
I have one wife that is more than I can handle, right? But it's possible, I'm sure, that as you read Proverbs 31, you say, well, okay, wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. And if I was like the woman in Proverbs 31, I'm sure I'd be a beautiful gift too. But who on earth can live up to that standard? There, there aren't the hours in the day to, to be this, this kind of woman. And some husbands too. Maybe in your cynicism, maybe in your sin, in your sin, we might find ourselves saying, yeah, wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord, but you should try to be married to my wife. Right? Well, here's what we all need to hear. Here's what we all need to hear. First of all, wives. Wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 24 when Abraham wanted a wife for his son? He sent off to a far off land to get him. Well in the same way when God wanted a wife from, for your husband. He reached across at the space between heaven and earth. And orchestrated all the events of human history. That you might end up being married to this man. In other words we believe in a sovereign God right? We believe in a sovereign God. There is no accident, no mistake that you are married to the man that you are married to. And that is by his express purpose and design. So God values you and God values you as precious and God sees you as a good gift to this man. And it is in his strong affirmation of you, the Lord's strong affirmation of you in the gospel that you find the strength to become more and more like this woman that we read of in chapter 31. Husbands, for our cynicism, we need to remember that God sees your wife as the perfect woman for you. That he makes no mistakes and he made no mistakes. And through the good and the bad and the ups and the downs, all of this, even the challenges and the hardships, have been designed by him for your welfare and your good. And so be very slow to complain about your wife when she is his good gift to you. Wives, you're a beautiful gift from the Lord. Husbands, your wife is a beautiful gift from the Lord. It's the first thing I want to see in the context. Second thing, though, I want to see in, in the context of this is, yes, wives are a beautiful gift from the Lord. But secondly, husband, husbands, we have been called then to cultivate this gift. We've been called to, to cultivate this gift. Perhaps the most famous marriage passage in the Bible is Ephesians 5. There in verse 25 we read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This amazing picture of how Jesus loves the church, how how Jesus loves us. He doesn't find us particularly impressive. He doesn't find us particularly noble or beautiful, and yet he loves us. And as he loves us, we find that, that we flourish. As we follow him and walk in joyful obedience, as we are sanctified and become more like him, we find that we become all it is that we were created to be, to the point that Christ will hold us up on that last day and say, Father, isn't this church beautiful? And we're told by Paul, husbands, as Christ loved the church in that way, so so you should love your wife in that way. So you should love your wife in that way. So if you're a husband this morning, then this is your goal. To so love your wife that she will become all that God has made her to be. 
You exist for the welfare of another. You exist so that you might love her and love her well, so that she might flourish, that she might become more like the Lord, that on that last day you might hold up her up and say, Father, isn't, isn't she beautiful? Now, this concept can be a little vague, so I was trying to think of some illustrations or, or pictures to make it more concrete. And then this week I heard a story that, that, really, that really embodies it and really sums it up. Well, now rather than tell you the story myself, I'm actually going to ask David to come and tell you the story because it's a story that has to do with his family and particularly his, his grandparents. So, David, share with us. Where do the wise don't share stories with James where you end up doing this <laughs> on Sundays? I was sharing with James this past week the story of my grandparents, Mima and Papa. My Mima, uh, when she was three years old, um, was placed in the Trumbull County Children's Home in Warren, Ohio, because her father died and her mother was unable to care for the nine children, and so at the age of three, she was placed in the children's home there. It was a happy childhood, but she shared several stories with my family about her experiences, and some of them stuck with us. One uh, was about the time when she was eight or nine, the matron of the home um, called her and her siblings to tell her that her mother had died and she was shocked because she didn't even know that her mother was even living. And she would recount the story when prospective adoptive parents would come to the home. They would take all the children downstairs and they would line them up in the hall so that the prospective parents could come and inspect the children and depict the ones that they wanted. My Meemaw was never adopted. She was never selected. And she would share going back to her room feeling Um, that she didn't measure up, feeling like she wasn't beautiful enough, not feeling that she was loved. She dreamed about being Shirley Temple, and so her and some friends even tried to run away to Hollywood at one time. When she was a teenager, she met Jesus. And after college, she met my grandfather, my papa, in a Bible study. And as they began dating, she had never learned to drive a car, and so he taught her how to drive on an old army jeep. They would marry, they had three children, and they would love each other into the image of God that they were created to be. My Mima would always tell my papa she would apologize for not being a good mother because she never had a role model and she didn't know what a good mom looked like. For almost 49 years, they loved each other well. And they loved each other into the people that they were created to be. In the summer of 1997, uh, my grandfather and my papa died of a massive heart attack. I was privileged to spend a few days with them right before that. And I can remember my last time with them was sitting out in their garden in the backyard. And my papa was sitting in the garden swing. He was still smitten with her. He was still flirting with her and as I reflect on that image my Mima was the matriarch of our family full of strength full of beauty she had been a member of the same church for over 50 years Uh, she would outlive my papa for a while but she would die in our hospital room with some of her kids and grandchildren singing hymns to her as she went to be with Jesus. My grandfather helped love her into the woman that she was created to be. Amen. 
Amen. A great story. Now, we don't want to oversimplify things. The Lord works in our, way, in our lives in a thousand ways and on a thousand days. But it's undeniable, isn't it? And biblically, it makes sense to us that profound change was brought about to David's grandmother's life through her grandfather. He came and loved her tenderly. And he, don't you love dude taught her how to drive? Isn't that great? wasn't just all kind of romance and flirtation. There's some practical things too. You know, I need to love this woman and she needs to learn to drive. So, you know, do the show on the road, right? Um, so that she wouldn't live her life as an orphan. That she would go from being alone in an orphanage to being surrounded by family in a hospital room because this man had loved her and loved her well. And that's the call of the husband to, to cultivate his wife. Even the English word husband gives us insight into this. You know what the, the English word husband literally means? It related to the word husbandry, which means you know cultivating. When we use the English word husband as a verb, to husband, it means to cultivate. To cultivate. And that's what we as men have been, have been called to do. To love our wives so that they might be blessed. That they might be more of who the Lord has made them to be. That they might look back on their lives and say, it was good for me to be married to that man. Husbands, I hope there's a rise of yes in you. That you feel that is, a, that is a life worth living. That that would be a legacy. That that would be a mission worth living and dying for. For your bride on her deathbed to make that kind of testimony of you. Wives, you're a beautiful gift from the Lord. Husbands, we have a beautiful gift from the Lord. And it's our job, it's our goal, it's our passion, it's our mission to cultivate these wives that they might be all the Lord has intended them to be. Well, how do you go about doing that? Finally, we come to our main point for the morning. You say, you gave us two points and then a third. This is just a three-point sermon. I'm on to you. You see what I'm doing, right? Well, I only want you to remember one point this morning. So I'm giving you something, right? And this is the one that I want you to remember this morning. Husbands, how do we cultivate our wives? Here's the truth. Husbands, your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. Your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. You will cultivate what you celebrate. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let's go back again to the scriptures, to the book of Proverbs. What does the wise husband do? Well, according to Proverbs, the wise husband celebrates his wife. Look at 5.18. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A term that means to be happy. To be joyful. To be glad. Celebrate the wife that the Lord has given you. At 5.19. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Now, there's a Bible verse we can all get on board with, all right? <laughs> what does that mean? What, what's, what's that about? Simply, it means in, enjoy her. Enjoy her. 
Read the book of, uh, read chapter 5 of Proverbs this afternoon. Very, very powerful chapter. This is a, is a warning against adultery. And to the married man, uh, the writer says, the solution for your purity, the way in which you will live a, a holy life with your wife, is to be so infatuated with her that you wouldn't even think about looking at someone else. So let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Enjoy her. Celebrate her. 519 again. Be intoxicated always in her love. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just a physical thing. It's also engaging with her emotionally. This term intoxicated, like in English, is the same word that the Bible will use for being drunk. (laughs) Be drunk with her love. The wise husband is so absorbed with his wife, so delighted with her, that it is like he is drunk on her. He celebrates her and notes that he doesn't keep the celebration to himself. Look at 31.28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Children in this wise home will stand up and speak respectfully to their mother. They will honor her and they will esteem her. And where did they learn to do this? From that. Look at the rest of the verse. Her children rise up. 28. Her husband also. And he praises her. He praises her. One commentator says the key word in these verses, verses uh, 28 through 31, is Praise. The word praise appears three times in these verses. A husband cultivates his wife by setting a high tone of praise in their home. This means no put-downs, no fault-finding, no insults, not even neutral silence, but positive, life-giving praise. That's how the wise husband speaks. What does the wise husband say? Well, look at verse 29. He says, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great verse? There are a lot of amazing women, but to me, you're the best. You are the best. Your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. Now, husbands, let's just ask, um, how are we doing? (laughs) Uh, Does this bright, praising wise man uh, look look anything like like you? Are you growing in this regard? Because I think we have a tendency, don't have a tendency, not just husbands to wives, but in many relationships, we have a tendency to become critical of our spouses. Now, it's funny, because in marriage, you know, you never started out this way, Right? You didn't meet and fall in love and go for a long walk and dream about the ways you could change each other, right? Um, You know, you didn't stand before your family and friends and say, you know, I take this woman to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold and to, you know, change and critique. That's not the goal when we start out in marriage. When you start out in marriage, you tend to be more intoxicated. (laughs) And yet often, somehow, some way the tone of our relationship begins to change. And we stop celebrating and we start critiquing. Why do we do this? Typically because we have an image in mind, an image of what our spouse should be. The problem is, this image nearly always revolves around us. So we want to make our spouses in in our image. We want them to do things the way we think things should be done. 
That's every argument over how to load the dishwasher in history. Okay? Um, or worse, worse than that, we want to make them in our mother's image. Have them do things for us the way they did things for us. If you want to start a big fight in your marriage, just bring up your mother. You know? Uh, always take your wife's side. Always. That's another sermon, but that's gold right there. Okay? We create, uh, we seek to create our, our wives in, in our image or in our mother's image. And, and men, I just want, and so we complain and we critique. And I just want to, to stop and mess with your stuff as, as the Lord's been messing with mine to say, you know, that's a sign of immaturity. When we complain and critique our wives, we're behaving like boys, not men. That's not how the Lord has called us to live in relationship to these women. He has called us to have a disposition of celebration. And that's what the Bible calls us to, which is something, isn't it? Something so much better. To see our wives as he sees them, made in his image, and to celebrate them. To affirm all that they are and all that we see the Lord making them to be and to call it out of them so that they'll become that more and more. Making this as practical as we can, we say, stop focusing on the things you change about your wife. Give no time, no energy, no thought space to that question. And start focusing on just how amazing she is. Start focusing on just how amazing she is. Write me Proverbs 31 about your wife. Come up with all the ways that she excels. And then tell her. And tell her in front of the children. Do it at the dinner table tonight. And then do it at the dinner table tomorrow night. And every night after that. If you have kids, they should be bored of hearing you praise their mother. Right? They should kind of roll their eyes and think, oh, here he goes again. As you, you know, have a kiss in the kitchen and celebrate our beauty. Uh, that is the kind of, of biblical beauty that we're called to. And one commentator says, ah, oh, yeah, hmm. If you can't think of the ways your wife excels, then that's your fault. Because she has been made in God's image and he sees her as beautiful. And you need to learn to see her how he sees her. You need to learn to see just how amazing she is. Well, someone says, does this mean that you never offer any hard words? Does this mean that you can always agree, always, always say yes, and uh, you know, never offer any words of, of, of challenge or encouragement? And part of me for this morning wants to say, yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> because you know... Uh, talk to some of our couples. We, we've been married 15 years, right? So I don't feel like, how do I feel? Um, I don't feel like a rookie, but I definitely don't feel like an expert. I feel like I, I, I finished the first quarter, right? You know, 15 of 60 done, right? But when you talk to the people who've been married 60, it really becomes clear, you know, the longer you live, the more your current complaints and critiques appear trivial and sinful. They just become, they're completely unimportant. The things you're so wrapped up around just now on the scale of your relationship are, are completely unimportant. And so we don't want to spend time on those things. Uh, we want to remember as well that, you know, look, when it comes to speaking hard words, um, just 
Try being your wife for a day, you know? She needs your encouragement much more than she needs your critique. So part of me wants to say yes to this question. Uh, avoid those hard words. On the other hand, then, of course, uh, I have to follow up by saying, well, you know, of course there are times, and hasn't Proverbs taught us, that there are times where you will say a careful, gracious, measured word that's designed to bring healing to your spouse. And true love does that. True love has that kind of dynamic where we would love one another well, even if that meant saying hard things. But this combination of being prepared to do it but not doing it very often is why I say that your disposition toward your spouse should be one of celebration. Your disposition, meaning, of course, you shouldn't celebrate what's sinful or harmful, but you should find that most of the time, you're saying positive things 10 to 1. Think of it it this way. Um, Disposition. What is the settled, normal, routine way you interact with your wife? What does she expect from you? You know, on any given day, when you walk in the room, when you walk in the room, something happens to your bride, something happens in her. And what is that? Is it a kind of sigh because here he is again? Does she expect to hear disappointment or complaint? Or when you walk in the room, does she expect that you're going to be delighted with her? And does she light up because of it? Or think of it this way. If I asked your wife... um, Who's your biggest fan? Who's your, you know, who's your most staunch cheerleader? Who believes in you like nobody else believes in you? All our wives, without hesitation, should smile and say, my husband. <laughs> my husband, he's the one. And God wants our homes, and he wants this church to be full of this beautiful kind of wisdom where we honor everyone in our church family, where we honor marriage and hold it in high esteem, and where our men are not silent and passive, but actively celebrate the wives that the Lord has given to them. Your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. Try it and just see if little by little she doesn't open up and flourish. Okay, last thing. Last thing on this. Men, your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. And it's important to add, this isn't a pep talk. This is the gospel. This isn't a pep talk of, you know, stop this, start that, slap, let's get on with life. This disposition of celebration, this is, this is how the gospel functions. And if you can't bring yourself to celebrate your bride, if you can't think of reasons to praise her, or if you live with her in sullen, silent disappointment, it may be because you have never experienced the celebration of Christ. That you have never experienced how Christ loves you. Because how does does he love you? Um, Husbands, how lovable are you? Um, Answer for me, not particularly. And Christ didn't wait for me to become so before he lived and died and rose again, that I might have life and life to its fullest. How does Christ love me now? Is it with continual critique, with continual browbeating? Is it with disdain or reluctance? No, it's with lavish, prodigal, over-the-top grace upon grace. And in that gospel, and only in that gospel, does he then say, yeah, and that's how you should treat your wives. 
In other words, if you're not experiencing the celebration of Christ in your own soul, a relationship with him that's fed daily, then it's not going to overflow to those around you. It's not going to bring a similar life to them because you yourself are cut off from the source of life himself. And so, if you have sorrow, if you have you know, regret over your failure as a husband, we start by coming to Christ. Meditating upon how we have been loved by him and seeking to love our wives in the same way. Okay, we're done. We want our wives, don't we? Don't we want our wives to look back and say it was good to be married to us? Uh, I want that. I think you want that too. We know that we can uh, look back and say that we have loved them well. And so we ask ourselves just now, What do you need to do now in order that that might be true then? What do you need to do today that you might have that sort of testimony tomorrow and in the tomorrows after that? Let me suggest it begins by hearing this biblical call that your disposition toward your wife should be one of celebration. Amen.